0: Well, good morning. Surprise, you don't have Austin up here (laughs) for now. It is me. Um, So we'll get started. But I need a little something here. Thank you, Bonnie, for decaf coffee. (laughs) This morning, I'm continuing the series that Austin began several weeks ago. Jesus, he gets us. He began with a passage from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And since the Bible study that we've been doing on Wednesday mornings has been Hebrews, that was particularly powerful for me and has kind of carried over as we've continued the study, well, we finished the study now in Hebrews. But today, to read the passage, I thought I would read it um, from the message instead of another version, just to hear it a little differently. So this is Peterson's translation. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. We have a mediator, a high priest who has given himself as a sacrifice so that the separation, this curtain that God himself placed between us and him, he has now ripped it down because of Jesus. And we can walk right up and speak to him, speak directly with God, If you aren't awed by that, I mean, if it doesn't just kind of blow you away to think that's really we can have this access to God. All people may approach God. Our priest is not out of touch with our circumstances or our temptations because he has experienced them himself. When I was first asked to do this, when Austin asked me, I searched the website about He Gets Us. Um, on Christianity Today, they've been a part, it's an initiative to engage the world with Jesus. And so one of the topics struck me, and it was titled, Hope, What Would Jesus Think of Teen Moms? This caught my eye because I've worked with teen moms for a good many years through young lives here in Griffin, and I thought if there's anything I've seen, it's a need for hope for these young moms, for these teen mothers. But as I examined the passage that they gave in Matthew and and looked at it, it took a little different route than I expected and it's not maybe so much about the teen moms, but it's for all of us and of course for the teen moms as well. But it's a little different anyway, it's a little different path than I anticipated. So, so far in this series, we've heard about the anxiety that Jesus experienced at Gethsemane, enough stress to even sweat blood as he prayed. How intensely Jesus must have prayed, not wanting to walk the way of the cross, but willing to do the will of God. We know Jesus experienced isolation in the wilderness. This is not the place where humans are created to stay. We need community. But it's so easy to feel isolated and separated from others. And Jesus experienced isolation. He also knew what it was to wait as he took his time to get to Lazarus when he was dying, when probably his human side wanted so badly to go, there was a purpose in the waiting. But he knew it would bring pain. And we again see his humanity as he weeps when he sees the tomb of Lazarus, and he senses Mary and Martha's pain. There was loneliness on the cross that none of us can imagine or understand as the Father turned his face away. Separation from people was one thing, but he had never experienced separation from the Father. There was also another message about rejection where the people of Nazareth knew Jesus, and they were astounded when he proclaimed the scripture fulfilled that day in the synagogue, the passage from Isaiah, the reason why he has come, and he says, today it is fulfilled. And they are, like, questioning his authority here also saying, wasn't this Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up here? Don't we know his brothers? And then Jesus begins to give this Old Testament passage as examples of how God didn't help Israel, but helped those outside of Israel. Maybe that's what made them so angry. We don't really know, but the people in the synagogue became an angry mob, and they take him to the edge of a cliff to push him over. And if you've seen the cliffs... They're around this area. They're not just a small cliff. They're huge, and they're high. But he slipped away. I will say I really thought this was kind of the thing. I, really, I thought they knew Joseph. They knew that Jesus was probably not his child. But as I did more research on this, I found that that's not really so. It was probably kept in-house. They may not have ever known, but we'll, we'll get to some of that. Before, But why would they reject Jesus? What, what made them so angry? It could just be because he was too human. They had grown up and they, they knew him. They knew his family. So who was he to think that he could fulfill Isaiah's passage? So today we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go to Matthew and look before Jesus is born. And we're going to look for hope in our scripture and see how he gets us. So I'm reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and I don't have the page in your pew Bibles like Austin usually does, but it's a pretty easy passage to find in the New Testament. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child. From the Holy Spirit. Now, just imagine reading this for the first time, and think about this. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to to resolve. Let's see. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And in your bulletin, there's also a passage from Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And I'm going to refer to Luke a little bit more because... Luke fills in a lot of details that Matthew doesn't give us. Luke says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Let's pray. Father, as I come to you as a humble servant, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, Matthew's story leaves us with very little information. I don't know about you, but if that's the only part of the Christmas story you read, you didn't know any of the others, what would be your thoughts? It's actually pretty painful to read for Joseph, wouldn't you say? Before they came together, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Did Mary tell him that she was with child? How betrayed did Joseph feel? How, how long after Mary heard from the angel did Joseph have to wait to hear from an angel? Have you ever wondered those things or just me that asked these questions? How long? How long did he have to wait to know what was happening? Did the parents know first or did they know it all? If we look at Luke's account, we get a little bit of an answer, but not all the answers to my questions. We still don't know a great deal of what happened. But in Luke's gospel, we are given a hint to some of that. Some of it we may never know. I'm sure of that. In Luke's account, though, we hear that Mary heard from the angel, and as she's hearing about having a child, she is told about Elizabeth who was six months pregnant. And the angel tells her, for nothing is impossible with God. Because they all knew that her cousin was too old to have children. And Mary responds to the angel after hearing this news that I am the Lord's servant and I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. Now, most scholars agree that Mary was probably 13 or 14. I don't know about it's you, but that sounds really young. Really young. And she accepts whatever he wants. Actually, if she'd been a few years older, some of us would have gone, yeah, we know what happens a few years later after that. We wouldn't be so agreeable, maybe. But Mary was, and she accepted what, he, what the angel told her. But Luke tells us that it's a few days later that Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. And that was about 80 to 100 miles, which in that day and time for her to find a caravan, some group to go with, because it's too dangerous to travel alone, and she is a woman, they wouldn't have allowed that. It would take her 9 to 10 days just to get there. But we know what happens when she walks into Elizabeth's house. We should know this story fairly well. Most of us, Elizabeth is excited to see Mary and knows immediately when Mary walks into the house. Now we're talking a few days. She left maybe two or three days after she hears from the angel. She has nine or ten days on the road. If she's pregnant, today's pregnancy test wouldn't show it. But when she walks into Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth knows. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy and she affirms that Mary is blessed because she believed that the Lord would do what he said. Now, there's a statement that should put us all in our tracks. She believed what the Lord had said. Then we know that Mary stayed three months with Elizabeth. So more than likely, she stayed through the birth of John the Baptist. She saw this birth, and by the time she heads home, another nine to ten days on the road, she's probably beginning to look a bit pregnant, which may be at this time when Joseph finds out. Maybe. We don't know that. But chances are good that she'd not told anybody she was pregnant. Would you have? You just hear this word from the Lord, maybe. Maybe you're the type that would go in and say, Mom, Dad, guess what? I don't know for sure what she did, but I, I can't imagine it. Because if I had been married, I would have gone to someone that the angel mentioned, and that's what she does. She goes to Elizabeth because Elizabeth has seen an angel too. She has heard from an angel. She is experiencing the impossible that God can do. And that's where she wants to go. So she goes to Elizabeth. But Matthew skips all of these questions that I have and goes directly into Joseph pondering what to do. Maybe he doesn't know at all. We don't know. But I'm kind of imagining from what Matthew says, he's trying to decide whether to divorce her quietly because he is a just man. It says he is just. And he wanted to divorce her to keep her from being shamed. But she has had these three months with Elizabeth. She's been encouraged. She's been supported. She has been excited because she knows God is doing the impossible. And now, fortunately, Joseph is told by an angel not to be afraid. Marry your wife. She will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. For he will save his people from his sins. That's what the name means, Yeshua. Joshua saves, one who saves. He's almost redundant in this passage. Jesus, one who saves, will come to save his people from their sins. Matthew doesn't care about these details. I'm the one who cares about those. I want to know it. Don't we all want to know details when we hear something that happens? That's the way we are, and I want to know them. But but Matthew knows what's important. And that's that Jesus is to name him. I mean, that Joseph is to name this child Jesus. And as he quotes Isaiah 7.14, the main thing here is he shall call his name Emmanuel. So how is this story about a young girl being pregnant with a baby that does not belong to her betrothed help us understand that Jesus gets us? Jesus has a birth narrative that is real life. It's messy. Would you agree with me? Life is messy. It was probably emotional, and it was difficult. And we get a glimpse of that in this Matthew passage. Joseph and Mary may have had instructions about this baby. Just name him Jesus. There will be a baby. He's coming to save the people I mean, the world you know, from their sins, but they could not possibly foresee the difficulty of the next few years. This is real life. And Jesus must have heard those stories. Your children maybe have heard their birth stories, Can you imagine Mary and Joseph maybe telling Jesus, well, you know, when you were born, we didn't have anything. We just put you in a manger. Um, You know, the feeding trough for animals and a stable, that's all we had. There was no place for us in the inn. We didn't have big bucks to go pay for a place to stay. We had these strangers come and visit us after two years of, of staying there, and a lot of different things happened. Maybe he knew those stories. And then one night, Jesus, we had to leave unexpectedly because your life was in danger. And we heard about it from these strange people from across the world, and they told us we'd better leave or we'd, be, we'd die. But God saw us safely to Egypt. But that was real life. It takes you to places you may not expect to go. You may have circumstances that are uncomfortable. The leaders of your country may be ruthless and brutal, Jesus grew up with that. That's what he knew. He knows. He understands. He gets us. And as we look at our high priest, knowing that he understands, we see the God of hope. We know that Mary carried the hope of the world in her womb. The psalmist cried out, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Jesus is the Word. He is our hope. He is God with us. He gets us. Now the King James Version says this, and Austin used it in his sermon a few weeks ago, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But in the International New International Version, it says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hoping is always about something in the future, something that's ahead of us. There is waiting involved when we hope, but it is an active hope. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. And Jesus came as a hope for the future. They may have been looking for somebody to overthrow the Roman Empire, to be the savior of them at the time in their political situation, their their time of of where they were at being ruled by a foreign ruler. But Jesus came for a future and a hope. A few weeks ago when I was teaching on Hebrews, and I was teaching about faith, which is having confidence in things you hope for. They're so tied together. They're so linked. And I even said then that, you know, it is a certainty in things you cannot see. It's difficult to separate faith and hope and love. They're, they're all intertwined. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's looking forward to a hope. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. But today is about hope. Hope. Have you ever been in a place in your life where all you could do is hope? Without hope. God knows we would die. Think about no hope. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit He died so the Holy Spirit would come and be with us and empower us. Our high priest offered himself as the perfect sacrifice so that the Holy Spirit would come. Our God is a God of hope. And Paul continues in Romans, in one of my favorite passages in Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. For years, I think I heard just the first part of this verse. I would see it on stationery. I would see it put in different places. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It might have that part, or it might just have the first part. But when I was trying to memorize it, I was blown away by the last part. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to continue to hope. Sometimes our hope can get thin. It can get weak. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overflow so that that hope is not just for us, but it overflows to the world around us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for hope. When life is painful when you lose a job or your house burns down or your health is failing, when you lose someone you love, when you've been pregnant as a teenager, or you have a teenager who becomes pregnant, when you have a child who dies, or a neighbor, or a husband, or a wife, the Holy Spirit empowers us to hope, to hope while we wait, To hope and keep going, to hope for the future. Sometimes all we have is hope hope for something better, hope for the pain to end, emotional, physical, or spiritual. We hope Jesus is our hope. The writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning. And the end. And he tells us more than once that we need we need to draw near to God the Father, because we do have a high priest who understands what we are going through. He gives us hope, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are to draw near because Jesus offers us a better hope. That's what our Hebrew study has been about. A lot is about better. Jesus offers something better. And he does offer a better hope, and he tells us that in chapter 6. And he also says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. I mean, that hope is linked to Jesus being our high priest. Jesus is our anchor. We can draw near to the Father because of him. Jesus came into the world humbly, being born in a stable to parents who were hoping for the promise of God that they didn't even understand. And that's us some days. We don't always understand it, but we look for that future hope. The world around them was difficult. It was filled with suffering, and they continued to hope. God desired for the whole world to know this glorious mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now when we hear about this hope today, I hope we can go forth secure in the hope that God has given us, that hope in Jesus. And may we offer that better hope to the world we live in. Let's pray. Father, you sent your son to be born in lowly circumstances in an uncomfortable stable, to a world desperately in need of hope. You take the ordinary and you make it extraordinary. We are ordinary people who want others to know you. Empower us with your spirit to overflow with hope so that that overflow will go out into the world that so desperately needs you. And may you do it in an extraordinary way. Thank you, Jesus.